0: I'm Tavi Folkerson. Today, I'd like you to meet Melanie Jackman, who joined the FBI in 1963 as an entry-level typist and ended up with a front-row seat to a remarkable period of American history that spanned 40 years and nine presidents. As she gained further skills and earned two college degrees, Melanie's career took her from the FBI to the Pentagon, the White House, and more. Melanie, I wanted to talk to you because... You've worked for so many presidents and worked for the government from John F. Kennedy right through Bush two, and all the things that happened with 9-11. Your story is so incredibly interesting, and what I do know is that you started working with the FBI. How did that come about?
1: Well, they came to my school. They were recruiting, so it was 19... 19- 62. I didn't know what I was going to do but luckily they came the beginning of my senior year and that's the good thing is because otherwise kids would have already figured out or try to figure out if they're going to school. They interview people. I put down the mayor of the town which I babysat for his kids and the chief of police I knew he lived two doors down and my girlfriend her father was a probate judge so I put him down. they Thought that was good, and December, I was notified and had a letter to go. I had a secret clearance sitting there waiting for me. I was 17, and I hadn't been allowed to do much, so I was pretty naive, um, And you know, when I came to Washington.
0: You had the guts to take a job with the FBI mm-hmm. and get on a bus and go to Washington where you didn't know anybody.
1: yeah. The agent that was in charge, he called me about a week before, and he said, how are you getting there? Are your parents driving you? Or, I said, no, I'm going by bus. And they said that they have a roommate referral, so I'll just call him and ask him where I'm supposed to live. And he kind of started to laugh. He says, it doesn't work like that. Usually the parents or a relative bring, or you go with another girlfriend from school, that, but nobody else was going I was excited. I
0: bet. I was like,
1: bye, bye.
0: (laughs) 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 And off you went. So what was that first day like when you went to work? Well, the
1: thing was the agent, he set me up. He said, well, there's a girl from near your hometown, and and she and another girl need a roommate because you couldn't afford it back then, but you, you didn't make enough money to afford to live by yourself. He had told me where to meet the girl, and I was supposed to meet her after work. Well, she got off at 5.30. So I went to the field office where I knew I was going to work, and I said, well, where is this? And he says, it's the Justice Building. <laughs> and, but the Justice Building had four entrances. Each was a block long. I went to the wrong entrance. I didn't know, and I had my little suitcase and high heels It was hot and humid, and I wasn't used to that because it was cooler up north. (laughs) Of course. So I was walking, I was really getting tired, but I walked around each entrance, and I didn't see her. I realized I must have missed an entrance, so I didn't know what to do. I still believed like in the guardian angel and all. I didn't even know how you had a baby. My mother never talked to me about that.
0: Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) And here you are. You get off this bus. You're kind of lost.
1: I just said, well, my guardian angel, will you help me? I really need to find somebody. I know if I could just see somebody I knew from home, I'd be okay. Honest to Pete, this has never, ever happened in my life again. There comes Saul Stone and his mom. And Saul was a year younger than me, so he was in a junior but we were in study hall together he had said his sister worked in washington so that's why they were visiting his sister they were so nice he says she says mom my car's right here you could park on pennsylvania avenue at that time it was more like a small town i did have a problem when i tried to cross pennsylvania avenue because I'd get halfway across and the light would change. So I saw these people standing in the middle. And I said, this is scary. And they <laughs> I said, we're in the middle of the street. And he says, but this is, you know. This works. is how it works. <laughs> you get to go halfway, then the light changes, and you have to wait for that side. So anyway, she got in the car, drove around, we found the girl. It was now 6 o'clock. Most people were leaving the city, gone home by then, or gotten on buses. And she was there with her little straw hat. She had a a blue dress on, and I think a pink sweater, and white gloves. I had never seen her, had a picture of her, but that was obviously her. Her name was uh, Sandy. We went to the apartment, and I said, well, we have to walk up to the third floor. They don't have elevators. We Got up to the stairs, and Sandy let us in, and she had a little apartment. But she says, well, you haven't met Lucille, the other roommate. But wait do you meet her. She'll be home shortly. She works at the identification department. So here comes Lucille, and with this ponytail, and she was from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She walks in, and she introduces herself. Well, I'm Lucille, and I'm from Baton Rouge. I couldn't understand her.
0: <laughs> Sat down. you're a northern girl meeting a I've Southern girl in, a in the Southern 60s. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you get yourself settled. What was the first day of work like?
1: Well, working at the field office was pretty good. I got on the bus I guess and got off right at the field office. I met a lot of kids. they were all kids and a lot, I bet some boys from Texas. Because they wanted the FBI to be together, because they knew that we, like, had secrets and stuff, and we might not know and just talk to anybody, and they kept saying, you can't repeat any of this. If it has a secret stamp on it, you can't talk about it to anybody. And then they wanted to to make sure you weren't getting into trouble. They also had a policy you couldn't have over overnight or you know, because you
0: know, how would they know
1: that? Oh, they, they're they're keeping. Yes, they did. They kept an eye on the buildings. Were there
0: many women in the office? Young women working there?
1: Oh yeah, but I'll tell you, they hired mostly. I'll tell you, Catholics, yes, and Baptist, a lot from the South, and Mormons. I'll tell you why, because we all were disciplined at home. We all had that. You know, and back then, and also you had more Southerners than you did Northerners. Mm. And there's a reason, because the Southerners were agriculture and all. A lot of them didn't have opportunities to go to college, whereas mostly in the North they did.
0: I see. I see. Was this um, during the term of J. Edgar Hoover? Yeah. running the FBI, and yeah. and I read in one of the newspaper articles about you that you did have a chance to meet him uh, under somewhat unusual circumstances.
1: Oh, you want to hear? That?
0: Sure. <laughs> Tell the
1: story. Okay, now I'm about a couple months I've been working there and worked on the third floor. We did have elevators, but there's a side door. You can go outside, and you just run down the stairs. So I put my tennis shoes on, I had kept him under the desk, and at lunch, I would hurry up and eat at my desk and then take a walk for a half hour. I just had to get up, and I wasn't used to sitting, and I'm a little bit hyper, a lot of energy kind of kid, and I went down the stairs, and here comes Hoover with these two bodyguards, big ones, and he was big. I had this pretty little marshmallow dress on, it was the pink one I think I had on, And then I had these shoes on, and I said, oh, oh, sir, I'm so sorry. I I don't normally, I have heels, but I was just going to walk. And I was so embarrassed, and he said, well, you look mighty cute (laughs) little girl." And they were laughing so hard. But see, he wanted to walk up because he didn't want people to know he was in the building.
0: I see. And we were on the third floor.
1: And um, so anyway, that was how I (laughs) met him.
0: In today's Me Too movement climate, and a lot more women at work, you don't often hear comments like that anymore, or how cute you are, or any of those things. Was that sort of part of the culture? Oh, there? Oh, yeah. yeah. And you,
1: and you had to wear nice clothes to work. I mean, decent. You couldn't wear pantsuits. And one time I was working in the Pentagon, but I had to go work at the White House. And at that time, you weren't allowed to wear pantsuits. I mean, we could at at the Pentagon, but not at the White House. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Came in finally.
0: Yes, and and I I actually remember that also. Not not where you just did not wear pantsuits, but um, let's go back. Just I I know you started in 1963, right? And that was the year something very very horrible happened in our history. Um, the assassination of, oh, of JFK. Oh, yeah. I know you were at work that day at the FBI, and yeah. it's quite a story um, how you heard about it.
1: It was around lunchtime. For some reason, we only had three in the office. I was next to this gal, and she puts the phone down. Her roommate worked at the White House, I think National Security Council or something. And she said, my roommate just told me that that our president was shot, and they think he's dead. And I said, no, you can't You can't kill a president. You can't shoot a president. That's impossible. And I just couldn't, in my head, digest that. And then this big, burly FBI agent, like 6'2", came walking in, and he was crying, came through the doorway, and I thought I'd never seen... I don't think I'd seen a man cry
0: Mm -hmm. in my life.
1: Mm -hmm. And so I knew then that was true. And everybody, the people in the office, everybody got quiet. We didn't know what to do. Then they confirmed he had died. and The person that confirmed it was the person on the news that if he
0: said it, you believed it. Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite of course. He, he was did, that's did. that's when news was news. news yes. yes, exactly. We all watched Walter Cronkite and believed what he said, and I, I remember that tape distinctly. Yeah. I remember that day like it was yesterday also. And they let us out of school early and everybody was crying and yeah, you're yeah. watching the television and you know, and television was relatively new at that time and uh, it
1: was still black and white. Uh, yes,
0: yes, and so. yes. What was it like as you went home? It was so
1: surreal. It was Friday afternoon. Normally when you go home, like at 5 o'clock, it's real busy on Fridays and everybody's talking and jabbering and horns are going and everything. It was like people were in shock. It was so quiet. And you got on the bus and you sat down and most people were just sitting there like trying to comprehend it all. I um, was going over to my girlfriend's house, so I was staying the night. And then this boy that I was dating, my first love, he came and we all just cried. We just watched the TV. We were supposed to go out, but we didn't. Larry and I then went to a movie the next day. Instead of Friday, we went out Saturday. It was a happy movie, but people just could hardly get interested in it. Then on, uh, it might have been Sunday, I can't remember, They had a parade to see the casket. They had the rotunda open for the public to come in. My roommate, Judy, and I went down. The line was so long, I mean, miles, and it was cold. We had boots on and coats and all, but it was chilly. By the time we got there, it was really, it was now early morning. The sun was coming up, and I remember that on the back of the, the, the um, capitol building. It was just so pretty. Judy thought she had appendicitis. Her side was hurting, and I said, Judy, you can get it when we get on the other side, but we're going to make it through. And I pulled her up, and she was whipping, <laughs> and we just went in procession, and then um, we went back to the guys, and they were getting ready to leave.
0: So you did, did go all, into all the rotunda. Night. You yeah, did. You did walked. walk by the casket. Yep. And that just had to be a moment. You can hardly breathe, right? I mean... It, yeah,
1: it was really surreal, I guess, you know. And everybody else, it was quiet kind of, kids, but mostly grown-ups. Well, some kids like our age. Then um, they buried him a couple days later. And you know, right. I think everybody remembers Mrs. Kennedy... Jacqueline and the two kids, but the little boy, you never forgot it was on TV, and he saluted his dad. Yeah. That was yeah. just John and now.
0: Yeah. You went back to work that Monday?
1: Yeah, we were
0: considered important. Oh, we, I would think so. I would think would be part sick, of the investigation. You must well, have been...
1: No, the FBI, it was just one of those that everybody else that they say, um, but we're not off. <laughs> yeah. And about January... We had a big snowstorm, and they said all non-essential people in the government don't have to go to work. Well, we were told we were always essential, the FBI no matter what. So my roommate, we walked, because we were both in the field office, and we walked from Oxon Hill, Maryland, through the snow. It took us like two hours and we, maybe more, and we got there. We were so cold again. And the agents were like looking at us. I said, well, we're sorry we're late. There weren't any buses. And they were staring at us. Well, see, also, being from the north, you had snow a lot. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so they took us to lunch. They were amazed that we came in. And we were freezing. And then they drove us back home in, a, in a, one of the cars. Big black limo or something, you know.
0: Yeah, Uh, but but, you know, you were really in the center of all that was happening after that incredible tragedy, uh, and that had to have been a very powerful experience. Now, how long did you stay at the FBI before you moved on to many of the other incredible assignments you started having? I think it was just three years. You worked in the White House a couple of times. Did you have a chance to spend much time with any of the presidents during that period of time?
1: No. When I was at the White House, I had my own office. I was working with Ambassador Ann Armstrong, who was thinking actually of running for president at one time. She was from Texas. She only came a week a month. She had meetings when she came. The CIA director, the FBI director, all these high-level people. This was the president's Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board. I guess Reagan set that up because... He wanted to make sure that the CIA and the Defense NSA people NSA actually was part of Defense Department. They reported to our Secretary of Defense. I took shorthand. They all came in, and I got to meet all these people about once a month, and it was kind of exciting at first. I was a little nervous, but sitting there and taking the shorthand, listening to all the stuff, what they. What are you doing in your intelligence? What about the CIA stuff? So what were they talking about? A little bit about the Vietnam War and spies. You know, back then, we had a lot of spies from Soviet Union. That were from the Soviet
0: Union coming to the United yeah, States, they yes. They were
1: was supposed to be at the embassies and working, but we had a lot of that. So they wanted to make sure that everything classified was protected they talked about, like, we need to downsize or can I hire more people to be agents of the CIA, but, but the budget I need, you know, they talked about, but also protecting things. And they didn't want agencies fighting with each other, which they sometimes did, you know, about, well, this is our territory. No, this is our territory. Did you ever get recruited by the CIA? No, I wouldn't have wanted to work for them. If you went for an interview with them, you had to take a lie detector test. Not that it mattered, but it was the only
0: agency you did. Your career was really developing. What happened next? I did get fired once. Tell us about that. I was
1: working for the special assistant in defense now. I went on a two-week vacation with my aunt. We went to um, Greek islands. I was gone for a couple of weeks, and this other gal came in and I think she'd had a degree, and she was smart, and so she was filling in for me. I went down to see um personnel director. fired me on Friday, and there wasn't any real reason. Mm-hmm. I had done anything. Yeah. It's, he says, you know, you're going to all these other jobs. Why don't you just go get a degree? I had gone, actually, a few times. I'd gone to Northern Virginia Community College, but I took, like, art appreciation and stuff. I said, well, I'm going to look into that. I was also, at the time, dating this guy, Hank. He was in foreign liaison. He was an Air Force. He was a major then. So I got to go to all the embassies in town. I was sitting next to this Israeli general, and he was talking about the '67 war. I just didn't remember it at all. So I got in the car. Hank was driving I I said, well, I didn't understand what that general, what was it in the 67 war? And he says, well, you know, if you had a college degree, you'd probably understand it. Whoa, that ticked me off. I bet. He'd gone to the Naval Academy and all, and he was very smart. Well, that Saturday, I called up and found out you could go to a weekend college, and I could finish in probably six months, and then... I could transfer it all to um, Maryland, and that's what I did.
0: You did get a bachelor's of science degree and a master's in general business from the University of Maryland. Yeah. Let's fast forward to 1971. You were aware of what Daniel Ellsberg did releasing the classified documents that became known as the Pentagon Papers. Yeah. That circumstance, you were in the middle of that, right? Yeah. And, in terms and of I working... believed
1: we were right and he should not have done that. But in retrospect, years and years later, I look back and say, you know, he did stop the war. He just said that, you know, things, things weren't as they seemed. So there was a lot of lies. I worked overtime. It was our Office of Secretary of Defense general counsel. The Air Force was running the investigation. They didn't want anybody to know. They said, well, this is highly, highly classified because they didn't want people to know yet. They wanted to investigate and see what really happened. But this is the funny part. I had a big Christmas party. My girlfriend, who had been my roommate, came to the Christmas party. The chair of the Washington Post was... um,
0: Catherine Graham. Yeah, yeah, that's it.
1: Yes, and they put it all in this safe. My girlfriend Bridget, she works for the newspaper. She was the only one that had the combination. Anyway, she comes to my party, and I have this three-star general there, and he was divorced from his third wife. They hit it off, and I said, "Don't talk
0: anything about you work at the post,"
1: but she told everybody.
0: She really was aware of where the papers were, is what she was oh, saying. Oh yeah,
1: and she thought it was great that they were publishing them. Then next week. She takes him in his full-dress uniform, and he's 6 feet 2, so she brings him into the lunchroom. And there are all these people, you know, that were high up in the post. She said, well, it was dead silent. They were stunned.
0: What a story. These are the the behind-the-scenes things that we certainly like to talk about. Now, several years later, 9-11 happened. Where were you working at that time? Defense
1: Technology Security Administration. The night before, I told this colonel that I would pick up his medicines at the Pentagon. That was where the airplane hit. But I didn't go to the Pentagon the next day because people came to visit me. I would have gone right through at about the time because I said, well, I'll be back for our 9 o'clock meeting. I'll just go by Metro and get over
0: there and get the medicine. I'll get yours. You there. would have been at the Pentagon when the around yeah. when that plane hit. Hit. did you know many people who lost their lives
1: only a couple but one was um, a guy that worked in our office his brother was killed so once this all
0: happened with 911 yeah. yeah what happened in the office
1: people went home that day I was off anyway because of my friends we were told to bring enough clothes if we have a lockdown we weren't sure what was going to happen at the time nobody did and Following day, I went in. I had a meeting at the Pentagon actually, not where that area was. It really kind of made me cry because I see these guys in the Jeeps armed driving around and checking things, and it was sad. And also, that night before, after nine eleven, well, these people came to visit, and we just weren't sure all that, you know, how much had happened. But we drove them by the Naval Academy, and That was really sad, too. All the guys, some of them 18 years old, they had their rifles out and they had the sandbags at every entrance. And at that time, like two hours later or something, my girlfriend arrived. It was just surreal. Everything changed. Security, everything. I went to a lot of meetings at the Treasury Department because I worked on the Committee on Foreign Investment. I represented, like, defense unless there was a big meeting and then my boss would go, for foreign investors like China. So you
0: felt after 9-11, mm-hmm. given your position and you're working with the Defense Department, that the amount of security, the amount of surveillance, the amount of observations yeah. about the people that you were with or meeting uh-huh. um, just accelerated. You worked in very male-dominated environments through your entire career. Did you ever experience any, I guess what I'd call sexual harassment? Are you kidding me? Uh, No, I'm not. Almost every day. (laughs) Almost every day. Oh, boy.
1: But also the mini dresses were out about that time, and I wore mine kind of short because then I had long legs.
0: I think what you're talking about is an era of time that is past. Back then, little. it really was more prevalent, and it's yeah, something only- you had to deal with. What do you think about the Me Too movement, the fact that women are reporting these Well,
1: I think it's, it's good in some ways, but it depends where you're working and who you're working for. And somebody just talking to you or putting their arm around your shoulder, I just think that, that kind of stuff is silly what happens is the men are scared to work with you if you you know say well I'm going to report you or something they're scared to even be around you now today's world
0: when you started in 1963 that yeah. was the beginning the assassination of John F Kennedy yeah, yeah you got a chance to see the speech by Martin Luther King you got a chance to see what happened with Pentagon and the Ellsberg Papers and the Vietnam War. Fast forward to what happened with 9-11. That's a lot of history to yeah, have experienced. You have had what I would call a spectacular career behind the scenes in government. It's so impressive, and I really appreciate you sharing all the your experiences, good and bad, and exciting, and how you... Grew as a person. It's wonderful that you were able to share that with us today. Listen to other episodes by visiting our website at www. twotoughtofail. dot com.